This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It was the first case that I'm aware of where they committed a crime using the internet, and they were very savvy. Unfortunately, it was their downfall, too. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Moises Mendez II, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And yes, today we are joined by none other than internet culture icon himself, Moises Mendez II, no one's junior. Moises, hello. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me back. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm such a big fan of yours. Like, whenever I see your name pop up on my TL or when I'm reading a story, I'm just like, oh my God, that's Moises. <laughs> He's such a star. Oh, stop. <laughs> Don't gas me up like this. My head is already too big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to gas you up. And I'm going to keep mm-hmm. gassing you up because Moises is currently a culture reporter at The Time magazine, but has written about internet culture for quite literally every single publication, like The Atlantic, Rolling Stone, Vice, and also ICYMI. Y'all might have heard <laughs> yep. him in a previous mm-hmm. episode with Madison. Rest in peace, wherever she is. Um, <laughs> Moises some did when I had COVID, which I love and appreciate, but because I wasn't there, it doesn't count. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and I appreciate that. So, since Madison's left, I've started doing this thing where I ask pretty much every single guest like some really wild question. And so, I thought to reintroduce you to the ICYMI squad, I would ask you a wild question. Have you ever gotten away with something that you shouldn't have? Oh, yeah. Oh, so many times. Tell- <laughs> <laughs> I always thought there was going to be hesitation and allegedly, no. and you were like, nope, here we are. No, I did. Tell me. <laughs> I, I think, you know, okay, my employer stopped listening now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like, you know, college, high school, all the time. Mm-hmm. I love to wait till last minute to do things. So mm-hmm. I'm really good at like, okay, I need a little bit more time. <laughs> Something bad happened. I remember one time I didn't write a paper and I like, I just remember falling asleep writing it. So I messaged my my professor in the morning being like, oh yeah, like, I'm so sorry. I just feel so ill. Can I just get like a little bit more time? And he's like, yeah, take as much time as you need. And I was like, yes. And then I wrote that. I don't even know what I wrote and sent it off. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to be committing crimes, but that's like low level fraud. See, you know, I love a good scam, but mm-hmm. I don't like pulling them because I feel bad. That, I like, I oh, have like guilt, sweet. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I will give my scam, which I pulled at the age, Tinder age, I would say like five years old. I was very okay. young. But it was back in the day when bitches were still eating Chef Boyardee and it was like gourmet and they had a new flavor. And my mom would not buy it for me. She was like, you don't know if you're going to like it. I'm not going to buy something I don't know if you're going to like. Which, in hindsight, I'm, like, smart. But as a five-year-old, I was like, how dare you? And so what I did was I stuck it in the bottom of the cart. 
like on the little rack underneath where the grocery checker person couldn't see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> we <laughs> got to the car and my mom was like, I didn't pay for this. And I was like, well, we can't go back in. They're going to think we stole it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have to mm-hmm. keep it. And we did. <laughs> and you got away with a crime. That was I got away crime. with a minor <laughs> petty theft. <laughs> I feel like we've all done it before. Maybe. Yes, exactly. It's always, it's always an accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, now that I've admitted to theft, um, mm-hmm. I think it's time to get in today's episode, which is about theft. <laughs> <laughs> it is all about the Bling Ring, not the 2013 Sofia Coppola film, but Netflix's new docuseries on the Bling Ring, which is called Too Bling, Too Furious, or at least that's what it should be called because the real name is like a, a huge mouthful. It's called yep. The Real Bling Ring, colon, Hollywood Heist. For those of y'all who are unfamiliar, The Bling Ring was a group of LA teens who between the years of 2008 and 2009 burglarized the homes of Hollywood's rich and famous. They stole from Paris Hilton. They stole from Orlando Bloom. They stole from Lindsay Lohan and more. Yeah. But according to the new Netflix docuseries, those crimes wouldn't have been possible without the internet. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. I am so excited. <laughs> After a short break, we will be back to dive into all the new details the docuseries revealed about those infamous teens, how the advent of social media and gossip blogs enabled these crimes, and what it was like to see Perez Hilton's face in 2022. <laughs> not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back with Moises. I feel like at this point, I've made it so clear that I love a scam. I love scammers. I love to watch a scam. I had a whole scammer documentary era last summer. Um, I will recommend one called Sour Grapes, which is about a wine scammer who conned one of the Koch brothers. It was immaculate Ooh, i love seeing that rich good. people get scammed it was so good yes <laughs> yes eat the rich and take their money exactly which means <laughs> that when i saw that netflix was doing a docuseries about the bling ring i was like i'm in sign me up inject it into my veins same very mm-hmm. much so i was very into this i'm very excited to talk about it <laughs> yes. it's gonna be great I feel like we're somewhere around the same age, which I think is also slightly too young to have watched Bling Ring play out like live online. So when did you first encounter like the mythos of the Bling Ring? I think it definitely came with the Sofia Coppola movie. That was the first time I really ever heard of it. But, you know, growing up, I saw those that iconic, iconic Alexis Haynes video Mm -hmm. where she's like yelling at Nancy Joe. Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers. I'm calling to let you know how disappointed I am in your story. How horrible you me. You and this lied. You stopped. You know, I didn't understand the context of it until I, you know, watched the documentary and everything came together. But it was more just the Sofia Coppola movie. I was like, okay. But I didn't really understand until I started watching the docuseries and everything just clicked. 
So, yeah. So this Netflix docuseries, you wrote in your piece for Time that while the film dives deeper into the crimes and how they were executed, it also explores the backdrop against which they took place. Tell me more about that backdrop. What was going on in 2008 besides, like, Obama? Uh, and let's also, you know, the advent of Jersey Shore, which is my favorite <laughs> and reality TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the bling ring took place around 2008, early into 2009. Mm. And this was around the time when MySpace was popular and Facebook was starting to become more and more popular. And people were just sharing what they look like, you know, mm. all the fun things that they're doing, all the lavish clothes that they're wearing and all of this stuff. So there was this want to be like the people who had the things you didn't. Yeah. So, you know, Nick Prugo and uh, Alexis Haynes and all these people, they all were using social media more and more. So therefore, it kind of just led up to the point where they were like, well, we have to go and get those things. Alexis in her own messed up world, but Nick Prugo especially because... He was looking at TMZ. He was looking at all these tabloid websites because that's when tabloids were also being read a lot more as well because there's just a lot going on in the pop culture era that it just, it kind of was the perfect storm for what took place with the bling ring. Mm -hmm. It's also around the time that gossip blogs really took off as well. Like TMZ went from being just a TV channel to having this dedicated 24-7 online personality. And then obviously Perez Hilton <laughs> was started mm. around that time, much to the detriment of society in general. So not only were celebrities offering more access to their lives through social media, but the things that they didn't want to share were also being shared through these other forums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. This is the environment that the bling ring starts in. And so it starts off with Nick Prugo and Rachel Lee, who are two teenagers who, and this is described so well in this docuseries, yeah, they just uh-huh. are driving in cars down like the streets of LA neighborhoods and just Rachel is hanging out the passenger door side and just like opening car doors to see which ones mm-hmm. open. And Apparently, money does not <laughs> buy you intelligence because <laughs> they get so much money and yeah. random shit this way. They even steal a Porsche at one point because someone left their keys inside. Yeah, and that was quite honestly one of the wildest parts of watching this documentary because as they're committing these crimes, there's like a tally at the top of the screen mm-hmm. that's just like, here's how much in value they took from people and here's how much time they would be spending in prison. Yes. And it was like at one point fifty something years. And I was like, mm-hmm. how are they not in prison? I remember yeah. writing notes being like, how are they not in prison <laughs> in all caps? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they hit 12 years in jail before the first episode. And mm-hmm. the docuseries is three episodes. And so throughout this whole first episode, you're just sitting here like, okay, Nick Prugo is telling me what's happening. So mm-hmm. clearly he's not in prison. What mm-hmm. the fuck is happening here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't make sense to me while I was watching it. But then as we dive deeper into these crimes and how it all played out, it still doesn't make sense. But <laughs> then it does a little bit. I was mm-hmm. like, 
Yes. We'll get into that. Yes. But. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to say watch whiteness work because that seems to be what. See, is- <laughs> that was it right there. Because I was just like, if their skin was darker, it would have they would have gotten more time in prison mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. So Nick and Rachel start off with this like kind of. I guess, low-level crime. Stealing a Porsche doesn't strike me as low-level, but it is lower-level compared to what happens later. <laughs> what is considered high-level, like, stealing a car? That's like a felony. So their first real celebrity home target was the home of Paris Hilton. And Nick describes in this documentary that the reason they chose Paris Hilton is because they've been watching her on tv they had been following our social media and that she seemed dumb is the general gist of what's going on (sighs) and Mm -hmm. from the beginning these crimes are kind of inextricably bound up with the internet and with the advent of social media and it was wild hearing the methods they used to both target and get into people's houses that was the craziest part to me because again in like the late 2000s People were, they were just looking up when they were, these celebrities were at events and when they weren't home. And then that's when they knew that that they could strike. So that happened with Paris Hilton, that happened with Adrena Patridge and Lindsay Lohan. Like all of these people, they were just looking up on like TMZ. And that's how they kind of figured out if the cops were onto them as well. And they also used, which was new at the time, like Google Maps like the aerial footage. You want to break into a Hollywood mansion? Step one, locate the address. Step two, Google Maps. It was in the hills in Hollywood. Next, when will that house be vacant? The TMZ websites did that work for us. She's going to be out at But sort of party the thing is, this works mm-hmm. so effectively that they end up robbing Paris Hilton. They say five different times but the thing about this documentary is that it's really interviewing a lot of people who were involved in the crime so i'm taking their words with a grain of salt yes Mm -hmm. because even during the documentary as well they have like the the disclaimer that's like this is based on true events and then there's like a like a quick little line this is like and some conflicting first-hand accounts Mm -hmm. Because there's, like, Nick Prugo saying one thing and then Alexis saying, I didn't know that was happening. Yes. And then him going going back to him and being like, no, she absolutely knew what was happening. <laughs> so it's just a lot of back and forth. And they're trying to garner sympathy, I yeah. feel, as I was watching this. It felt like they were trying, not trying to absolve themselves of crime, but they were trying to explain why they ended up doing what they did. They start off with Paris Hilton they mm-hmm. move on to some other celebrities. And eventually, Prugo and Lee are caught on camera breaking into Audrina Patrick's house, who was a star of the old reality television show, The Hills. And Patrick posts this footage on her blog, which was a throwback <sighs> for me to yes. witness. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Audrina Patrick and Paris Hilton were both interesting targets to me because I think of them as sort of like the patron saints of reality television, Mm -hmm. which I also consider this twin flame to social media in the way that these two things kind of became really popular at the same time and had the same effect, which is closing the gap between celebrities and viewers. And as I was watching, I was struck by the question of would this have become a thing 
what the bling ring would have become the bling ring TM without reality television or social media existing? Ooh, definitely not. Like, reality TV and social media definitely help bolster the want and the, you know, desire to be rich and famous Mm -hmm. and have all these designer clothes and be close to these people as well. Like, this was the start of also parasocial relationships where we didn't have a term for it when that first happened. But because we were put inside of these people's houses, it felt like we were friends with them and we're so close. But that obviously turned and this was the result of that. Mm -hmm. And we saw that with so many other things and the way that people now interact with their favorite influencers and celebrities because the space between the celebrity influencer, et cetera, and their fans is getting smaller and smaller as we are closer and closer to them on social media. Mm-hmm. And we get to comment on like their social media and then they reply and it's like, oh my God, this person knows who I am. But even with like, you know, fan pages as well, like I'm a big Rihanna stan, so the advent of <laughs> Instagram, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, following all of these people who like knew Rihanna, DM'd her, like they she would recognize them at shows and it made them feel like these really important people. And we're seeing that now, like, you know, the results of those things. Because, you know, she does not on social media anymore because of how crazy people are, essentially. Like, that's just, you know, people take it too far. And that's what these kids did with the bling ring. Like, they wanted to be famous. They wanted to be rich and, you know, well-known. So it's it's not the best way to go about it that they did. You know, committing <laughs> felonies is not great. I would not suggest, but they did it anyways. And here we are talking about them. <laughs> Thank you for not encouraging the commitment of crimes on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, I have to put that disclaimer in. Thank you in. so much. Mm-hmm. I would like yeah, not yeah. to be responsible. No crimes. Yeah, no crimes. No, no. no. Or at least yeah. don't tell us about them if you commit them. <laughs> <laughs> or actually... Tell us about them after they happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, and they've expired, like Lacey yes. says yes. on Scam Goddess. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. that statute of limitations <laughs> is, is so, so important. <laughs> exactly. Very much so. Yeah. It's really like what you were saying about this gap between celebrity and consumer diminishing. I feel like a lot of people attribute that to like social media and reality television. Obviously, I also do. But I feel like there was this was also around the time that celebrities were trying to reduce that gap as well like they were playing into this kind of closeness as well and that reality television is just letting people into your house like Mm -hmm. trying Mm -hmm. to become relatable when there was no relatability in like the old hollywood no one was gonna be marilyn and we knew that but everyone thinks that they can be like i mean not necessarily Lindsay lohan i need to pick a better yeah (laughs) better example but you get what i mean (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think you know that's obviously shifted as well with influencers Mm -hmm. and the fact that like we've seen them from like either like vine stars or you know like twitter personalities or just anyone who's like a small creator that's just continuously like getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it just like they're making all this money, they're going to all these events, they're getting sent all these free things, and there's opportunities for that to happen to people as well. So they feel like, you know, if they start to share their 
experiences and mm-hmm. they they start to make content that they also could be influencers and they'll have an easy life and it'll all be great and whatever but that's not the case yeah you know being a content creator god bless go Truly. with god do what you need to do that sounds terrible and making content 24 7 oh my god you know mm-hmm. have fun with that i love writing about the content that people make because <laughs> I, I I type my little silly little words into a computer and I you know send it off and <laughs> mm-hmm. it gets published you know, <laughs> but I just I can't so you know seeing these influencers become celebrities in their own right, people are seeing that that's also now an option for them as well. Yeah, yeah, and that pipeline didn't exist in terms of social media to celebrity in two thousand eight, but what did exist was the pipeline from reality television to celebrity created by Kim Kardashian. And there was an attempt to emulate that by one of the members of the Bling Ring, which we will talk about after a short break. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, y'all. I hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We're so excited to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You are currently listening to the Saturday episode. Our Wednesdays episode was on why an Orthodox Jewish boys choir is going viral on TikTok. Also, Lena Dunham tweeted, you should check it out. And we're back. At this point, I don't think we've actually talked much about the most infamous name associated with the bling ring, which is Alexis Haynes Nee Nyers. Mm-hmm. She's the one played by Emma Watson in the 2013 film, a casting choice that Nyers actually takes issue with because according to both her and Prugo, Nyers wasn't actually the criminal mastermind behind the bling ring. According to her... And I'm going to say according to her, because what is the truth? (laughs) But according to her, she was actually only present for one of the burglaries, the one in Orlando Bloom's house. Yes. But importantly, she was filming a reality television show at the time that she was on trial for burglary, (laughs) which is a move that I will not call iconic, but is definitely a choice. (laughs) It honestly, you know, it just doesn't get better than that like you can't make this up like, you, you can't I mean, which they did <laughs> like they did <laughs> they kind did, of yes. but. Mm-hmm. and so i think that the reality television aspect of it is the part of the bling ring story that most people are familiar with there's this iconic mm-hmm. scene that you mentioned earlier where nyers calls nancy joe sales who's a really well-known mm-hmm. writer and reporter it's gonna be okay i'm calling jeff she said i was wet six inch louboutins to court tweet outfit. Jeff, did you read the Vanity Fair article? I wasn't wearing Louboutins. I was wearing little brown kid meals. And you know what? I respect Alexis for standing her ground and making sure she had her facts right. 
Same, same. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and we hear about this article coming out from Nyers in the Netflix series because the series takes this really interesting tack that you mentioned where they interview both Prugo and Nyers separately, but their testimonies are kind of like spliced together, which highlights the contradiction mm. between yeah. their description of events. But like you can tell that they both kind of think of it as a redemption arc for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I have yep. the feeling, based on the PC you wrote, that you don't think it works. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, I always, I don't like to not have my opinion in something that I'm writing. And when I spoke to my editor, I had to just mention to her and be like, it feels like they're trying to get us to sympathize with them, be like, we were just kids, you know, we didn't know what we're doing, but we kind of knew what we're doing, but not really. It's like, okay, but you you did it though. Like, and I, I, I think they also tried to, try to make us think that they were trying to redistribute wealth in a sense, <laughs> where they were like, we're stealing from rich people. Robin so Hood. it's not as bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, barely, barely a Robin Hood in this situation, but it's not hitting the way they intended it to. And it feels like, for lack of a better way of phrasing this, it felt like the Netflix producers were giving them the rope to hang themselves with. I think I agree. I mean, I think that the the wealth redistribution arc only works if they don't also want to be rich themselves when that is very clearly their goal is to yeah. be one of these people at some point. Yes, because... They were wearing the things that they stole from people, yes. going out to clubs. Yes. Nick called a paparazzi on himself, yes. trying to make it seem like, you know. And then he also, he was, <laughs> the funniest part about that documentary, too, was when he was talking about the attorney that he hired. And he was oh just like, God. I want to get a hot attorney. So my dad initially had called a lawyer that he knew to be good. But I didn't want an old geezer with a pot belly, even if that was the best attorney in town, to represent me. I wanted somebody that looked flashy and looked good. The image was more important, almost, than the qualification. And so all these things are happening at the same time, like, in the same docuseries, and you're just like, my God, everyone here was so stupid. (laughs) Yeah. So along with kind of cutting together all these, like, dissonant pieces of testimony, one of the really... I think kind of weird editorial choices made by the filmmakers was to use a green screen. So throughout the series, you'll see Nyers or Prugro or the detective or the ADA in the kind of like luxurious places you'll see in the backgrounds of documentaries, except Mm -hmm. they're fake. Everyone's in a studio. And this, because I am brain broken, obviously reminded me of social media, of TikTok's green screen footage, of that scandal that happened in 2020 or 2021 where some TikToker was found to have been using like a fake background in all their videos of like a house that wasn't theirs. But you talked to the director about why he made that choice, right? I did speak to the director, Miles Bladen Ryall. He was super sweet and super nice. And we had a really wonderful conversation because when I watched the documentary, that was the most fascinating part to me mm-hmm. where I was just taken aback by the decision to use a green screen because it basically broke the fourth wall. Yeah. And it really made us think, like, we're giving these people exactly what they want. 
and what they've wanted since the beginning is attention. Mm -hmm. So when we chatted, he said that the green screen decision was both like practical, but it also was a creative decision as well because he was just like, I wanted to make people understand that he's not blaming anyone for what happened, but he's like, people played a part in this, especially the gossip magazines, the tabloids, all of these people played a part in, you know, making this case what it was and this social media phenomenon, essentially, like one of the first. So he wanted to make sure that everybody knew, like, you know, these people were essentially attention hungry Mm -hmm. and we gave them what they wanted, you know? It's like, it was so interesting to me and I I was so fascinated by it. I I was like laying down on my bed, whatever, (laughs) just like, and then when that came, I like sat up and I was like, this is interesting. Like, Wait okay. a fucking minute here. <laughs> like, you got me. You got me good, yeah. Miles. Yep. Like. yep. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it was. It was just like the entire documentary had me. I was just like, wow, I love seeing people engineer their own downfall. But then that happened and yes. I was like, yeah, <laughs> maybe I'm part of the problem, too. Yep. yep. <laughs> I, I had to like sit and think for a moment and be like, wow. Okay, so all these people were just talking about how they did all of these things so that they could make themselves more Mm well-known. Like, the detective who was working on the case, who ended up working on the the film, Mm -hmm. which I think might have contributed to their short prison sentences. No, it did. Yeah. I think that was really interesting. The fact that everyone in the story, besides it seems like the prosecutors were desperate to be famous was definitely the most i was like everyone in la is brain poisoned exactly <laughs> and i'm getting it I, yeah <laughs> being here for like almost a month i'm like yeah My i get it like Put i'm in, in the belly of, of the beast <laughs> yeah but i'm like okay take a picture of me <laughs> so <laughs> I look good today <laughs> i might hear about you committing a crime soon is what i'm getting uh, that's between me and the man upstairs. You right. You uh, right. That's <laughs> nobody's business but my own. That is that is true. So, <laughs> part of the Bling Ring's downfall was, like, hubris, but also social media, in that the police literally used their Facebook photos to verify that the members of the Bling Ring were wearing stolen property. And, like, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm not gonna say I've never done anything stupid, but my God, why were they so stupid? Like, what was your reaction to seeing how they kind of engineered their own downfall? Not to say anyone mm-hmm. should commit a crime, but I do think they could have gotten mm-hmm. away with this. Yeah. It feels like there is a lot of people who tell themselves on the internet. Uh-huh. Like, people will commit some sort of crime or they'll do something that's just unethical and then they'll post about it online. It's like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. We don't need to know these things. Please stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But, Something yeah. about the internet just mm-hmm. makes people feel immune when it's like, um, mm-hmm. this is in fact just an open air surveillance mm-hmm. stadium. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. It is just, it. You know, you're just basically giving it up to everyone yes like you you don't even have to do the work anymore i've done it for you yes. here you go <laughs> here we go that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so here's where we get a little bit philosophical which is that in talking about this 
in uh, writing about it, we're basically just playing into the same thing, into the fame cycle. Mm-hmm. But do you think, is it possible to not be a part of the attention economy? Like, is it really possible for us not to engage in it? Or are we just basically and affecting everything? Oh, my God. <laughs> I definitely think that there is no way that you cannot be a part of this attention economy wheel. Like, it's just a hamster wheel. And if you think you got off, you just got on another one. <laughs> like, there is... It's just an infinite amount of hamster wheels that we're just jumping from one to the other. People at this point, like, they make their money off of attention. It's quite literally one of the most valuable commodities known to man at this point. Mm -hmm. Because even if you don't have any sort of acting experience to say, you could get a freaking movie deal. (laughs) I'm not saying anyone specific, but her name rhymes with Madison. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Madison (laughs) Malone (laughs) Kircher. Oh my god, yeah. No, we love her. But... It is so valuable these days because people can do anything, no matter what, no matter if you're good at it or not. So all you need is just a little bit of attention, the tiniest bit of motivation, and you could be an influencer too. Not saying it's a great job, but it's a job. (laughs) I think if there's anything this show has revealed is that being an influencer sucks. Sucks. (laughs) It is terrible. But like, go off, keep doing your thing so I can write about it. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It's the best way to number some episodes and never miss a discussion about a new Netflix scammer docuseries. I will be talking about all of them. <laughs> please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Tell your scammers about us. Tell your bling ring about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMIMINDERSCOREPOD, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or in Paris Hilton's house. Please continue being dumb online as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at you, the Try Guys. (laughs) Oh my God.